Hello, you beautiful beings. It's Lane, and this is episode number 57 of the Unleash Your Life podcast, where we're learning to plug our power leaks. So glad you dropped by. Today's topic is all about how monkeys can show us the way. This topic came out of a story one of my coaches shared, and it so encapsulates the trap some of us find ourselves in when it comes to navigating our automatic assumptions and the way we assume our life and the world works. Knowing this may just help you question what you're thinking a little more quickly. And for that very reason, I know this will be an amazingly helpful show. Give me a second to run the intro and I'll be right back. This is the Unleash Your Life podcast where you're gonna learn to rewild yourself. I'm your host, Lane Smith-Brown, and I'm a best-selling author and rewilding guide. And over the last 20 years, I've been guiding women back to their truest selves. You see, you were born wild with all the wisdom you will ever need to navigate your life in a beautiful and powerful way. Then, just like everyone else on the planet, you got tamed as you fell under the power and influence of others who were also tamed. All that taming you got as a kid has you convinced you are less powerful than you really are. I call all of that unconscious programming power leaks. And on this show, you're going to discover yours and then you're going to choose to plug them so you can get back to the wild, wise and powerful being that you are. So grab a coffee, glass of wine or a favorite friend or all three and let's talk about what living your wild self can mean for you. Glad you came back and as always, thanks for showing up. I love that you're here. I uh, actually released this episode a couple of weeks ago and for some reason... It was completely blank. So for those of you who are back here trying again, this time you're actually going to hear the whole episode. So thanks for trying again. All right. As I mentioned earlier, my coach shared this story a while back and I knew it would be beneficial to you. So here it is. The story originates from the research of G.R. Stevenson in 1967 study was called Cultural Acquisition of a Specific Learned Response Among Rhesus Monkeys. <laughs> Dry title, but this is going to be juicy information. I think you will see just how his conclusions play out in our human lives as well. The story goes that they put five monkeys in a cage and placed a bunch of bananas on a rope high above them. Below the bananas was a staircase for easy access to the bananas. Each time a monkey went up the stairs to get a banana, it was sprayed by the researchers with ice-cold water. As you'd assume, it didn't take long before they conditioned all of the monkeys not to even attempt to go for the bananas. No fruit and freezing wet fur would be a good deterrent for the effort. The researchers dismantled the mechanism after that and no longer sprayed them with water. There was absolutely no ability to spray them with water. And then the researchers took the experiment a bit further. 
they took one original monkey out and replaced it with a new one. As you might expect, the new monkey went up the stairs, but way before they could reach their banana, the four original monkeys pulled that new monkey back down to the ground. So after their initial ice-watered conditioning, the original monkeys had become their own ice water. They continued the series of replacing an original monkey with a new monkey until all five monkeys had never experienced getting sprayed with water. They had only experienced being pulled down from the stairs every time they tried to go for the bananas. None of the new monkeys had been sprayed with ice-cooled water and none attempted to go for the bananas, solely on being dragged down the stairs by the original monkeys. The original group had taught the new group it wasn't worth trying. We may be a bit shocked at that, but as humans, we do that all the time in so many different ways. I did a show a while back where I shared with you some information on the reticular activation system that all of us have. The RAS is the part of our unconscious filter system that narrows down the information that is available to us. Someone has taken the time to measure that in every second of our life, 400 billion bits of data are coming into our experience, but only about 2,000 bits of that data get processed and registered in our unconscious mind. Can you see how limiting that can be? Our unconscious mind is editing down what is actually available to us to a one bit per two million bits ratio. If I've done my math right, that is. So how did it decide on what those 2,000 bits would be? Well, how did it happen to the monkeys? It first happened to the original group because of something that they experienced. But for all the monkeys that came after that, their 2,000 bits were not based on personal experience, but on the experience of someone who came before them. Can you see then how many assumptions you are making on a daily basis that are not based on your own personal experience. Let me give you some other scenarios. Let's say you start a new job and one of the first things you hear from your coworkers is that your boss is irrational, prone to big mood swings, and you better learn to stay out of their way. You don't wanna bring yourself to their attention because chances are you're going to incur their wrath. You have not experienced your boss in that way, but apparently your coworkers have. Knowing what you know now about the monkeys, perhaps there wasn't one coworker in that entire group that had had an actual experience, but they too were told, just like you are being told now. Now tell me, what are the chances of you going out of your way to share an idea or a concern with that boss? Be honest now. Are you more inclined to believe the experience of others or are you willing to test what you've been told? I'll give you another example. My grandfather and father were both entrepreneurs. 
my grandfather was a farmer and my father was a house builder. Now, if, you're, uh, if you've ever known a farmer, you'll know that the most common thing you'll hear is that their income tends to fall into the category of feast or famine. After all, their chosen livelihood is based on all kinds of things outside of their control, like weather and pests, for just two. So my father, unimpressed with those odds, moves to the city and starts out as a Finnish carpenter and eventually starts building custom homes. Even though both of those choices offered the opportunity to create huge potential wealth for himself, my father and our family lived in the cycle of feast or famine. Unconsciously, he had not associated feast or famine with farming, he had associated feast or famine with earning a living. My brother started his own company and for some reason did not choose to believe my father's experience. So he created a tremendous amount of wealth and security for himself and his family. He changed the cycle by being aware of the assumptions my father had made and acting against them. I chose to get a nine to five job for the first 20 years of my work life. It felt more secure financially than the home I'd grown up in, but I kept sabotaging jobs or running away from opportunities so I could experience feast or famine. Then one day I found myself without a job and a good friend whose opinion I respected pulled me aside and said, with your skills and abilities, you should start your own company. She suggested that I look at all of my experience and the things that I love to do and build a company around that. So I did. Right out of the gate, I had a huge opportunities. In fact, the very first contract I got saw me earning in three months what I had previously made in a whole year. I lined up more work and that first couple of years just blew my socks off, financially speaking. But eventually, I succumbed to the feast or famine mentality I had grown up with. The next decade, I'd live in the feast or famine cycle and felt powerless to change it. My saving grace was that I was uh, good at budgeting, but I would have been better served by not buying into that old limiting conditioning in the first place. This stuff gets deeply ingrained. And if we want to change our expectations and assumptions, we have to learn to be diligent in monitoring our recurring experiences, reactions, and thoughts around different areas of our life. What pattern can you see in your life that doesn't really belong to you? You just picked it up along the way, and now you see it manifesting in your life. As part of our primal survival mechanism, we tend to focus on the negative more than the positive because being aware of all of the possible pitfalls or traps, we increased our chances of survival. So here's how we can pick up conditioning all on our own. I'm the youngest of four kids. And there are large gaps between all of us. So my brother is 13 years older than me. My older sister was 11 years older than me. And the younger sister is now six years older than me. By the time I went to grade one, 
I had been exposed to a lot of information and I had matured a little more quickly than some of my cohorts in first grade. I loved school and I loved my first grade teacher, Mrs. Kahn. But because I knew stuff that some of the other kids didn't know, the administrators thought that I would be bored staying there and within four months of being in that great class with Mrs. Kahn, the school put me into grade two. That grade two teacher was not crazy about having me enter her class so far into the semester. And she did everything in her power to make me feel unwelcome and stupid. Everyone in the class had been in a reading competition. All of their names were posted at the front of the room and underneath each name was a list of the books they had read so far. The teacher took the time to show off the ones that had the most number of books read. And she seemed to take great pleasure in also focusing on the ones that had the least number of books read. So there's me being brand new to the class with zero books read. I can feel that feeling today if I choose to and it didn't feel good. What do you think that started to tell me about myself? I wasn't old enough to understand how to process that, to understand that that was more about the teacher than it ever was about me, but here's what I did with it. I developed an unconscious belief that being smart would work against me. After all, if I hadn't been smart, I would have still been in Mrs. Kahn's class. Now, some kids would use that grade two experience as an opportunity to prove the teacher wrong, but for whatever reason, I chose to prove the teacher right. I wonder how many of you reacted to situations in your early years in the same way. Truth is, I was bright, but I played dumb. I didn't apply myself. I didn't put my hands up. I gravitated towards behavior that seemed to alienate me more and more to the teachers around me. A coping mechanism turned into my truth and I was proving to myself and everyone around me that I was indeed stupid. Now there were a few exceptions. I had three teachers who were freaking amazing. They gave me little glimpses of what was possible for me because they took the time to show me. And I believed them for as long as I was in their classes. And then I got to grade seven. I was in a new school district, so I didn't know anybody in the school. But I caught on very quickly that it was the rebels that seemed to have all the power. So I chose to be a rebel. I acted up in class, I didn't pay attention, I didn't do well in tests, and guess what? I failed a lot of classes. Now remember, grade two had set the tone for me seeing the disadvantage of being smart. The choices I was now making in grade seven initially made me feel like I was powerful by being a rebel. But continuing that behavior through grade eight and grade nine saw me fail miserably in classes that were not difficult to pass, just so I could feel stupid. And now, even my teachers thought I was stupid because that's all I showed them. Guess what happened next? I got booted out of that school for my behavior and my poor grades and got sent to boarding school. I was nearly a thousand miles away from home 
and in an environment that was so foreign to me, it took a while to navigate. I quickly realized in this situation and in this school, the cool kids were the athletes, the academic stars, and the ones that were involved in student government. I had never been in an environment where being smart and being involved had been praiseworthy. And uh, or add to that, that it was impossible to skip a class in this school. They actually took attendance in every class. Misbehavior of any kind ended up in both double time detention and what they called room campus, which meant you weren't allowed to leave the room that you lived in for 24 hours except to go to the bathroom and to go to meals in the dining hall. I only tried that twice before I realized that my behavior needed to change. If you missed a one-hour class, you got two hours of detention and 24 hours of isolation. That was way too high a price to pay. Funny how we'll look at our unhelpful patterns when the cost of not looking at them becomes too painful or too costly. Now remember, I was still under the impression I was stupid because I had now become, or I had now started to believe my own self-directed myth. But now I'm in a situation where I have to go to class. I have to take notes. I have to hand in assignments. And if I'm struggling with marks, I am immediately tutored by the teacher after class. In very short order, I was getting high marks. That's when I realized I was actually smart. That was halfway through grade 10. By grade 12, I was taking all kinds of extra credits on top of the regular curriculum and I hung out in the library instead of goofing off and I graduated a full semester before my cohorts. What a difference a perspective shift makes, no? There is power in having our assumptions challenged. After all, they aren't built on anything real. Even if something happened once, it doesn't mean it's a rule. It just happened once. It's only us that keeps the assumptions or the patterns going. A grade two teacher set a tone, and even though I had some good teachers after that, that tone went deep and lasted for eight years until I was forced to confront the fact that it only appeared that I was stupid because I didn't go to class, I didn't learn the lessons, so I didn't pass the tests. What assumptions are you running that you need to take a look at? Perhaps you think you're not skilled at picking good friends or good dates or good mates. Have you ever stopped to think about what you're assuming about yourself or the situation based on either your own experiences or the experiences of someone else? Perhaps you think that working for yourself or switching careers is not worth the risk. You'll likely fail or there will be too much competition or you don't know enough about anything to be considered an expert. That's all un tested assumptions based on either your own experience or the experience of someone else. You could be using untested assumptions on 
all kinds of things like whether or not you're a good parent, whether or not you could get into the best shape of your life, whether or not you'd be a good leader or a good speaker, whether or not you could win a singing or dance competition, whether or not you could have inspired ideas, whether or not you could experience a connection to your higher self so freaking profound that you feel led by magic throughout your day. We create or buy into limiting assumptions about anything and everything all day long and our lives get really, really narrow and small as a result. Those limiting assumptions give us the illusion that we're creating safety for ourselves. But what we're really doing is placing a cage around ourselves. The good news is there's no lock on that cage and you can set yourself free anytime you want. And it begins with questioning your assumptions questioning what other people are telling you, questioning what you think is true, but don't know is true. What is it you want to do, but you're believing the voices in your head or the things your caregivers told you about it being too big a risk or not worth it uh, with effort, not worth the effort, or it's going to take too long or you're not bright enough or lucky enough or special enough. None of that is empirically true. You're not great at everything, but you're great at something and it's something that lights you up, even though it might be a little scary. This is the first great place to start breaking through some of your old assumptions. If there is something you long for and do nothing about it in two years, in five years, in 10 years, you're still going to be listing out the same stuff, the same excuses, the same assumptions, and your life will be lesser for it. I can't tell you what you're here for, but I'll tell you it's filled with more magic than you likely are experiencing in your life right now. And that means you need to change the filter that you are running your choices through. You need to address the assumptions you're making so that you can start to expand the number of bits of information that are available to you. You want to expand that number from, say, 2,000 to 2,500 or 3,000 or 5,000. What's it going to take to do that? It's going to take questioning what you currently think is true about you and for you. Imagine if all of us listening to this show started to challenge what we currently think is impossible for ourselves and get our attentions on setting the record straight. What if one of those monkeys had decided to not believe what the conditioned monkeys were telling them and just started to break through the grasping arms and screaming to climb to that damn staircase, up the, up the, up the staircase, and into a feast of bananas? That monkey would have been feasting and throwing bananas down to his cohorts 
and they'd all have full bellies and all five monkeys would be going up and down that staircase all day long, satisfying their hunger and their need. Sounds pretty good, huh? So what's your banana? What's your banana? What is it you are holding yourself back from experiencing because of the story in your head or the story of somebody in your experience? I think that's a good question to ponder. And on that note, I'm going to leave you. Let's all make the world a better place, shall we? Let's question the assumptions in our head and maybe we'll inspire someone to question the assumptions in their own. As always, know that if you have questions or comments, you can write to me at lane at huminc.com. That's H-U-M-M-I-N-C.com. And that link is um, at the lanesmithbrown.com website. If you're finding yourself curious about getting coached, you can find out more information in the show notes or at, uh, on my site as well. And uh, on that note, I'm going to meet you back here next time. Thanks for showing up. If this helps you in any way, please spread the word. More people doing this work make the world a better place. Subscribing and or sharing this podcast will, uh, with someone goes a long way to helping spread that news. As always, stay weird, stay curious, and learn to recognize where you are making assumptions in your life. Trust me when I say it will be worth the effort to see it and making a decision to let go of it. Because life gets better when you start living in your true power. Ta for now. Well, I hope this show rocked your world a little bit. If you want additional resources, check out the links in the show notes or at lanesmithbrown.com. Before you go, please subscribe to this podcast. It's how we get these tools into the world. And this world needs more wild women standing in their authentic power. Do that for me, will ya? Thank you.